Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Ocean Decade Show, uh, a podcast dedicated to guiding you down the yellow brick road of this global initiative to transform the ocean, housed within the American Shoreline Podcast Network family. My name is Taylor Gills, and I'm your host and tour guide uh, on our, our adventure through the ocean decade. Last time, if you listened to the first episode of the podcast, we spoke really broadly about this ocean decade, why it's important, what the idea of transformation could mean for the ocean. Uh, and I had a lot of fun chatting with Dr. Caitlin Lauder uh, about our canals experience and our experiences with the ocean decade in this past year. Today, we're going to be a little bit more rubber hits the road, talking about the birth of the ocean decade. Uh, so what happened between that UN General Assembly proclamation of the ocean decade in 2017 and now in 2021, now, uh, you know, a little over... Uh, a, a bit into the decade, you know, we're, we're now in it. Um, and how the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission, the IOC, that's your major acronym of the podcast, so remember that, <laughs> made this proclamation a reality. And I'm really lucky today to be with one of the people who made this decade possible, um, who brought this grand idea uh, into reality. And that's Alison Clausen, a program specialist in the Marine Policy and Regional Coordination Section at the IOC. Uh, welcome, Allison. Thank you for, for joining me today and uh, being on the second episode. Thank you, Taylor. And it's a, it's a real pleasure to be here with you today. That's so, yeah, it's so fantastic to have someone, you know, from the, the belly of the ocean decade beast <laughs> here at the start. <laughs> um, and so can you first tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? We've been working together, you know, for, for some months now, and I, I don't know a lot about you with this virtual world, you know, about yourself and then about a little bit more about what this IOC is. You know, it's this big kind of global UN thing. So it's not very, uh, to people on the ground, you know, it's like, what is this thing? What does it do? What does it mean? <laughs> it's a very good question. Yep, I'll definitely try and break that down for you. But first of all, a quick introduction. Um, so Alison Clawson, as you said, um, I've been with the IOC for just over a year now. Um, I'm a specialist in climate change adaptation, marine policy, um, and work really at that interface of working with funders and resource providers and scientists and policymakers to make sure that science is funded um, implemented, the knowledge is generated, and then it's actually used for policy and decision making and management. And I would say my, my road to the IOC, good question. It's been somewhat um, twisty and winding, but I, I As started all the off... best roads are. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I'm actually Australian. Um, so I lived and worked in Australia for quite some, quite some time and then uh, moved to Hanoi in Vietnam, where I was actually based for around six years working with different UN agencies in the Asian Development Bank and got a really first-hand experience of climate change adaptation needs, um, coastal and urban resilience, as well as some of the, the real challenges that come with very quick and sometimes unplanned economic development. Um, and then after that, for a complete change of scenery, we actually moved to Madagascar for nine years, uh, where I was the regional director of uh, the Wildlife Conservation Societies program, which is a big uh, conservation NGO. And there we had a big program managing marine protected areas. 
But when you talk about managing marine protected areas in countries like Madagascar, it's not so much about the conservation as it is about the fishing communities and the livelihoods and just, you know, making sure that people have a healthy natural resource base, um, which they can use to live. I mean, it's as, as simple as that. So again, these questions of climate change adaptation and and, and resilience and, and maintaining a healthy ecosystem functioning and what, you know, obviously central to my to my work there. Um, and I think that's, you know, then afterwards, obviously, I made the the, the move back to France and, and to the IOC. And that's what I find so fascinating now, because now I'm sort of in the in the center of one of the agencies, which is, mm-hmm. is really the, the powerhouse for for making making and, and, and trying to help member states to make the policy and make the decisions and make the strategies that affect the people on the ground um, that are, you know, living in, in, in many of these countries where I've worked previously. So I guess in some ways it's come full circle. Um, but that's yeah. my <laughs> that's my path. Um, so the IOC, yeah, as you said, you know, the UN we 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 know that it can be sometimes a little bit opaque to say the least. For, for people <laughs> sitting outside the system, but the Intergovernmental Oceanographic Commission is essentially a intergovernmental bodies, which means that it's made up of 150 different governments who who support. Um, the the agency it's a UN agency that sits within within UNESCO in Paris and, and UNESCO spell out the the acronym is the, is the United <laughs> Nations Education Scientific and Cultural Organization so it's, it's also know, such a, a challenge for all of us who say these all the time and then we think yeah. that like oh wait what does that acronym <laughs> <What> mean <laughs> yeah so UNESCO <laughs> is the the you know the 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 major UN agency that deals with education that deals with science and that deals with culture and it really has a very, very broad mandate that ranges from indigenous languages to um, protecting cultural relics to working with women and girls in education, you know, a very, very broad mandate. And and the IOC is a part of this, um, focusing particularly on ocean science, um, capacity development, ocean data management, information generation. And, and you know, at the, at the end of the day, our fundamental aim is to help the 150 governments and and beyond that to have the information, the skills, the technology and the data that they need to manage their ocean and marine resources so that they can support their populations now and and into the future. So there's a lot of working with the governments, you know, at, at a regional level or a one-on-one level to work out where their where their where their needs are in terms of capacity development, in terms of science, scientific support, etc. And then trying to develop programs of work and, and activities to really to really fill those gaps. That's yeah, that was a great overview, and I I learned some stuff too about. I didn't realize how broad UNESCO even was as well, um, and it seems that the decade is kind of like the culmination of everything that IOC does and has wanted to do. You know that it's not all of what you are like that IOC still is doing all this other sort of stuff other than the Ocean Decade right now, but it kind of represents all of the great work you do in one you know decade long package. Yeah, look, it's certainly a culmination of, um, you know, a lot of people's efforts and work and thinking and creativity and the idea of this, of, of having an ocean science decade was was born, you know, at least a decade ago, if not before. And it really came about from this recognition, both within IOC and then sort of building out through member states and partners that, first, first of all, that the ocean is going to be central 
to the to the future of our planet. I mean, that's that I think you know there's pretty good understanding of of that now and pretty good acceptance of that. But the 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 real um, added value, I guess, that IOC brought to this debate was that. Yes, the ocean is going to be central, but it can't fully play its role until we know more about it. And so we really need to generate, well, first of all, generate additional missing knowledge and secondly, better use the knowledge that we have so that the ocean can really play this central role in a, you know, in a healthy and resilient future for, for humanity. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a two-part kind of thing is that mm-hmm. I kind of think of the decade as, you know, we have the picture of what we want it to look like. Um, we're just kind of trying to figure out what paint color we need and the puzzle <laughs> pieces and, you know, kind of however, <laughs> whatever kind of mixed metaphor you want to use. But, um, and it's, exactly. you know, 150 countries around the world trying to do that simultaneously. So that's, think about the scope of the scale of that. So you you have not an easy job and you you do it so elegantly. <laughs> Very kind. And I, w- I would add to that analogy, if I may, picking up on the analogy yeah. about, you know, about choosing the, the, the paint colours and seeing how it's going to happen. It's also about building the ladders and finding the right power tools because it's also as much about, you know, it's about generating the knowledge, but it's about using that. And what are the applications, the services, the tools that we need to develop so that member states, but also NGOs, citizens, um, philanthropic foundations can take that knowledge and actually use it in decision making and management and, um, you know, other things that are really concrete ways that we're going to uh, be able to move forward towards a sustainable future. Yeah, it's about making sure that it's usable and that exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So after you'd said there was this long, uh, kind of run up almost to this idea of an ocean decade. And then it was declared in 2017. And then what is the first thing that the IOC did? I know you weren't there for that part of it, but in this planning process, how did the IOC approach it and approach this kind of big idea? Well, we had to break it down, right? Because yeah. it is a big idea. I mean, it's almost <laughs> too big sometimes. Yeah. And so there was a there was some a lot of fundamental questions that were asked. It's and and these were, you know, first of all, who needs to be involved in this? Who should be some of the people that need to help shape this decade? Who's it for? at the end of the day. And this is where, you know, we, we, we started already to identify some of the, the very broad stakeholder groups um, that needed to be identified in the preparation process for the decade. Because when they declared or proclaimed the decade, the UN General Assembly essentially asked um, the IOC to, within a, within a three-year period, to prepare a decade and to specifically prepare an implementation plan for the decade. So we had our, you know, we had our end goal. We needed to deliver by the end of 2020 a, um, an implementation plan. But yeah, as I say, we had to break it down. So who were the stakeholder groups? What were the elements of that implementation plan? And one of the big decisions we had to make was, are we going to be top down? Is this going to be very prescriptive? Or are we going to try and build this from the from the bottom up? And then thirdly, we had to say, so what are, what are the priorities here? What do we, you know, in an ideal world, at the end of this decade, what does the ocean even look like? What is the, what is the contribution of this decade to a better ocean that can fully play a role in sustainable development? So we were sort of working, I guess, along these three parallel tracks, trying to break things down and come up with a, a, a process to move forward over this three-year period that we could gather together all the different inputs 
backwards to 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 essentially prepare this implementation plan. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's fun. even when you break it down, it's still huge chunks mm-hmm. to move forward <laughs> with, you know, and thinking about um, the stakeholder groups you need to consult and the how you uh, I've heard some people refer to, you know, some of the planning of the decade is building the plane while flying it, that <laughs> you're you're trying to move forward and you're trying to make progress, but you're also like adding bits as you go and adapting as you go. And that's what I think is uh great about this implementation plan that was just approved at the end of last year by the UN General Assembly, the end of 2020. Um, And it's really the guidance document, I think, for the decade outlining how we're going to move from the ocean we have to the ocean we want. Um, Do you think that's a fair assessment of what the implementation plan is trying to be? Very much so. And, and you know, I, I said one of the questions was, are we going to try and be prescriptive or are we going to have more of a bottom-up approach? And I think the implementation plan is really the answer to that or it shows you which way we went because it's very much a strategic framework document. It is going to change and evolve over the life of the decade. I mean, the document already um, envisages the different review points at which different elements of the of the plan itself will be revised because we know over the next 10 years that things are going to change. Technology is going to evolve, new issues are going to emerge. Hopefully some of the challenges we'll set ourselves will be able to tick the box and say, that's done, let's move on to the next one. So it's, it's very much a dynamic and living document. Um, it's something that has been developed through a, a very participatory process and that will continue to evolve we hope with that same level, if not more participation in the in the future. Yeah, so uh, those, the participatory nature of how the implementation plan came to be. So is that the, the regional planning meetings and global planning meetings that happened over the past three years? Are those the kind of stakeholder forums that you're talking about that formed this plan? Yeah, they they are definitely uh, a major a major part of it. I guess one of the key elements of the of the the sort of structure that was put in place to develop the to develop the implementation plan was the executive planning group. So that was sort of one of the the starting points. And this executive planning group, or EPG, just to add another another acronym, acronym of the, <laughs> the podcast. There we go. We've got many of them, but um. So this executive planning group is is a group that's made up of 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 twenty odd you know leading ocean scientists who were really the sounding board of the IOC throughout this whole process and not just on the scientific questions but it's a it's a group that has you know very very diverse membership in terms of um gender in terms of geography um even in even generational diversity because some of early career ocean professionals um, participated in in this group as well. So it was also a sounding board in helping us design the participatory processes to build the build the implementation plan. But yes, so the so so your question about the regional and, and global planning meetings, yeah, these were one of the, the fundamental mechanisms we used. And the idea of having a very strong regional focus or going to the regions and and talking to 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 regions well when we could still travel of course yeah um, so, so those days 19 when we all did all that crazy travel all the time but we you know we actually did go and see people and and talk to them what a um, shocking idea i know can you imagine now no, <laughs> so, no i cannot to, that's so crazy to 
But um, the you know the, the the idea of having this very strong regional input to the decade implementation plan was was you know was there from the outset. In fact, one of the first documents that was developed after the twenty seventeen proclamation was a roadmap for the decade, which already started to answer some of these questions that I mentioned before about who are the stakeholder groups, what are the major priorities, and and how are we going to try and find this balance between top down and, and bottom up. And so these regional planning workshops, there were 11 of them. And I would like to just plug a new publication that we just put out just before Christmas, which is um, synth- a synthesis of, of, of the results of all those, oh, those yes, yes, yes. planning workshops. You can find that on our on our website. But essentially, we had a, a 11 of these workshops. The last one was virtual because it was in April um, 2020. But we really spoke to these communities um, and that was not just the scientific community we had very diverse participation in these regional planning workshops but you know we 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 put to them here's you know here's our first idea of what the decade could look like here's what we think we could you know here's our first idea of what how we could characterize the ocean we want in 2030. Do you agree with us? Is this how, you know, how does this ring true or not in your region? And and so we really, you know, the the and you'll see this now in the implementation plan, the the ocean decade sets out a, a series of outcomes, which are really the characteristics of the ocean we want by 2030. And so we put these to the regional planning work and planning workshops and said, uh, you know, is, is this right? Is this this makes sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly, precisely, and and then said if so, so what are the what are the knowledge needs to get there? What are the capacity development needs? What are you already doing in your region that we could build on? What are the new partnerships that we need, or what partnerships already exist? And we so we started to get this really um, clear picture, I would guess, of both regional needs, which are quite specific in some cases, but as well as some of the cross-cutting themes um, that were common around the globe. And that was, you know, fascinating and something that really helped us helped us build um, the, the the implementation plan and the and the different elements that are that are now contained in the document. Yeah, I think that's that probably was fascinating, you know, that you're in the Indian Ocean and then you're in the you're talking about the Antarctic and you're talking about the Atlantic and they all are bringing up similar issues and that you're realizing oh this is something that we need to that we need to focus on but what i think is uh the great approach that you all that i could kind of gleam out of all of that was that you gave people something to respond to because the decade is so abstract you know that that's that's been the challenge that i've uh faced in some of my work over this past year is getting people to think beyond you know two-year funding cycles or five-year funding cycles and all that and it's like what do you what do we need, you know, for your industry, your specialty, your, you know, group, your region, where do you want to be? And having them think that abstractly outside the box is is not easy. Um, it's not easy to get people to think that big sometimes. And so I think that having these outcomes and these different things for people to respond to, it's much easier for people to say, yeah, I like that or no, I really hate that. And this is why. <laughs> Yeah, no, I I think you're right, and I, you know, it was, and it 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 was in a, it it wasn't only useful and and in getting people engaged and so on, but we got really tangible feedback, and I'd like to give you one example of that. Yeah, so when we please. went out to these to these regional planning workshops, the first I would say the first ten of them 
anyway. Um, we had six outcomes. And we kept getting all this feedback saying, what you've got is fantastic. You're talking about a clean ocean, a healthy and resilient ocean, a safe ocean, predicted ocean, a transparent and accessible ocean. But what about the role of the ocean in inspiring and engaging and the role of indigenous knowledge and the role of the arts and the humanities and the role of underwater cultural heritage? And we, you know, in different forms, we were getting this message back, which is why in the implementation plan, there are seven outcomes mm -hmm. and the seventh outcome is around an inspiring and engaging ocean. So it's just as an example, those regional workshops really did help shape not only the, you know, the, the, the six outcomes that we'd, we'd already been thinking about, but, you know, even more fundamentally than that, by adding a whole new dimension to the way the decade now defines the ocean we want in 2030. Yeah, that's. I remember when the seventh outcome had come out, and it was, it it really hit in my mind because it made me realize, like, oh, they get it, and they're really <laughs> listening to people and thinking. And because the science challenges, we can uh, people who are in ocean sciences and who have a general knowledge of these sorts of things think like, okay, yeah, we want the ocean to be clean, we want it to be healthy, predicted, um, but inspiring and engaging. That really captures, I think, the transformative nature that this decade is trying to do, that you're really thinking beyond the the science we need and thinking about the ocean that we want and what are the characteristics of what that looks like. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, it, it brings in a whole new group of stakeholders that are going to be so essential and partners, which are the social sciences, which are the humanities, which are the ocean literacy community, the educators, the artists, and so on, the underwater cultural specialists. For example, now there's a an underwater cultural heritage network for the ocean decade that is, you know, that has has emerged. And so it, you know, the that that element of the importance of having an inspiring and engaging ocean in our minds it was always there but it wasn't explicit in the in the way that the decade was presented and by making it explicit we've opened the door to a whole new set of 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 partners and 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 actors and it also really i think you know you i think you you struck it very well with one of the key words of the decade is transformative. It really helps keep at the forefront of everybody's mind the fact that this is not science for science sake. This is science for sustainable development. This is science for the ocean we want and the ocean we need to be able to, you know, again, underpin a, a healthy and resilient future for, for all, all generations on the planet. Exactly. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. So we've been kind of dancing around these outcomes, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the challenges too. But so can we go through and exactly lay out what are these seven outcomes and 
then what that and then get into kind of the 10 challenges and how they're different and what they're what they're meant to do within the implementation plan and within the decade overall. Sure. So the outcomes, again, these are really statements and they're not definitive statements, but they're, 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 you know, our best attempt at documenting what we heard over the last three years about the characteristics of the ocean we want in 2030. And again, the, these, these characteristics of the ocean we want will probably merge and adapt and, and evolve over time because humanity's desires for the future also you know, evolve and adapt over time in response to, to changing social, economic, political um, context. So it should really be seen as a, as a snapshot in time. But anyway, saying that, the seven outcomes, what are they? A clean ocean. So an ocean where pollution, whether it's land-based, whether it's sea-based, um, whether it's carbon dioxide, is understood, is, 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 is managed, is, is controlled. Um, a healthy and resilient ocean, so focusing on the ecosystems in the ocean. And again, looking right from the coast to the open ocean, to the deep ocean floor. A productive ocean. And this is, of course, around ensuring that fisheries are undertaken in a sustainable way, whether they're small-scale fisheries, industrial fisheries, et cetera, also aquaculture, but it's also looking at different elements of a sustainable ocean economy. So renewable energy, for example, tourism, how can the ocean be a productive part of a of a um, of a future sustainable economy a safe ocean so one where you know extreme weather events are able to be predicted in advance um, so that um, so that people can can people in in coastal communities are resilient and and able to to prepare for hazards and link to that a predicted ocean so we just have more information both in the short term for 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 extreme weather events or climatic events but also in the long term and 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 climate change and not only is what is that going to do to the ocean but how can the ocean help us combat um climate change accessible ocean now this is one that engendered a lot of debate as well and, and i actually, remember the yeah the <laughs> name change and the yeah the name change was it right and and so it was initially a transparent and accessible ocean and the idea of transparency in this sense was not clear water which is more linked to a clean ocean i guess but it was more about transparency in terms of access to information and data and so on and we actually that created some confusion i would i would say so we went for a simpler um, naming of this outcome in the end, which is just an accessible ocean, which is which is really about having access to skills, to technology, to information and data, which is a really strong central theme of the of the decade. But it is also in a not in a secondary time, in a in a in a complementary way. It's about just physical accessibility to the ocean as well, right? It's just yeah. you know, having having that capacity and to, to be able to access the ocean and its and its resources and so on. And that's particularly important when we talk about landlocked developing countries, which are one of the, the, the priority groups, if you like, um, of the ocean decade, that, you know, landlocked countries are affected by the ocean in terms of every day of, yeah. yeah precisely in terms of weather that affects crops that affects food security so also trying to find ways in which we can interest and and, and engage landlocked countries and particularly landlocked developing countries in debate and questions about the ocean. So that also comes into that accessible ocean. And then the last one, as we were saying, an inspiring and engaging ocean about the ocean as a place of wonder, as one of the last unexplored frontiers on this planet, you know, and inspiring not only children, but 
you know, because often we, we think about that, oh, it's about ocean literacy and children and so on, which is hugely important, but it's also inspiring the government officials who are making the policy. It's about inspiring the philanthropists who are making decisions about funding so that that helps all of, you know, it helps create a, a, a community and communities of practice that are all moving in the same direction in terms of generating the ocean knowledge we need to protect the ocean in the future. Oh, that's, uh, you probably have to list those a lot and congrat, good job on getting through all seven. I remember when I, I started counting on my fingers though. It's. <laughs> I remember when I started my fellowship, when I saw the list of those, I was like, I'm never going to be able to do those verbatim. Like I, there's so, <laughs> so many pieces of things and I can't, I definitely can now. I remember when you, when it shifted and when you, we added the seventh and then ch- changed transparent and accessible though, that threw me for, for a month or so. And then <laughs> like keep you on your toes. That's <laughs> Yes. I kept doing it the wrong way and I had to update. Uh, we have like a master deck of slides that we've been using for Craig McLean for all of his presentations. And so I had to go through and then make sure that no one took slides from anywhere but there. Because <laughs> it's like, this is the most up-to-date information. Sounds very familiar. It's funny though, the, you know, the the inspiring and engaging, it is most commonly called the seventh outcome. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. when, when we talk to partners, it's often the seventh outcome. And it's like, no, it does actually have a name that we it can It has use. a name. <laughs> And it's nice because those are also, I've been uh, thinking about it this year, all the outcomes are easily hashtagable. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hashtag healthy ocean, hashtag safe ocean. Like, it's a great way to to think about the social media push of this going forward as well. So, And you'll definitely see more of that coming out. We're doing a lot of work on communications development at the moment with a, with a big communications plan um, going to be launched probably around the time of World Oceans Day this year. So expect to see a lot of those hashtags and get ready to repost them. Oh, yeah. I mean, June, counting down, World Ocean Day. Yeah. So we have this, the seven outcomes and then there are these 10 challenges. And I've always that like I've always had trouble explaining to people the difference between them and just trying to make sure that we understand the complementary nature of them and what they're meant to do independent of each other. Sure. So we, you know, it comes back to one of the, the, the points I think you were making at the beginning about the decade being so big that it's also sort of hard to know sometimes where the entry point is, right? Yeah. You know, it's just, we, okay, fine. You're telling us this is the ocean we want. We agree. We all, you know, fine. We adhere to the vision, but what do we actually do? And so the, the 10 challenges, and you, they were also added relatively late in the piece. Um, they were added, I think, between the zero draft and the first draft of the implementation plan. Okay. So that's, on- is that early 2020 or late 2019? Or? It would have been early 2020. Early 2020. Uh, yeah, okay. it, would have, it would have been earlier last year. And it was really in response, again, to what we were hearing through the through the regional planning workshops and the other forums and discussions we were having, that this is too abstract. And people were saying to me, and I remember being at a workshop in Nairobi and, and somebody came and said, look, I work on sustainable fisheries and I have... I you know, love the idea, but I have no idea how you want me to engage in, in, in the decade. And it was like, oh, okay, we really need to think about this. So we, we maintain the outcomes, you know, that's aspirational. That's where we want to be. But how do we get there? You sort of need steps to get there, right? And the challenges are, uh, are, are really trying to provide the stepping stones to get to the outcomes. 
so maybe to take a maybe to take a couple of steps even back from that and this comes back to the idea of the the implementation plan being a framework the implementation plan does not attempt does not aim does not want to say exactly what projects or programs or activities or initiatives are going to be take, undertaken over the course of the decade so it sets out a the aspirations these outcomes and then it asks and we are going to keep asking the community regularly throughout the decade and we've just done this through the first call for decade actions which actually closes in 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 mid-january around the time that we're talking to we're going to ask actors around the world to submit decade actions to contribute to a collective effort to achieve the outcomes so you've sort of got your on the ground action level and then you've got your aspirational outcomes and the challenges are the roadmap or the 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 street directory to d- between the two to connect the these yeah the call for actions and it's to kind of show people how they get from those to the outcomes exactly so the idea is that the actions that people are putting in are organized around the challenges. You can almost think of the challenge at, well, the challenges are the most immediate and pressing needs for ocean science if we're going to be able to achieve the outcomes. Okay. Okay. Now, again, it's just a snapshot in time because these are one part of the implementation plan that will definitely be reviewed and revised. It's probably the, you know, the central part that will be reviewed, reviewed and revised. But they really aim to say to people, here are 10 big challenges. Join us in one of these with your actions. And then your actions will not just be dispersed all over the place. They will be part of a collective pool of activity around these 10 challenges that together will lead to the achievement of the of the seven outcomes so it's sort of like they're the yeah they're the, the 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 road to get from this huge mass of actions that's going to be taken all around the world by all types of different partners organizing those into um, these bins yeah yeah the- precisely yep and then together those bins come together and that leads to the to the outcomes and as i said it was a it was a relatively late edition although you know the idea had been maturing for some time and 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 was really cemented through through conversations again with the executive planning group and in these regional planning meetings and i would say it's been really well accepted people really get it because even if they don't read the outcomes or they don't you know think about the mission and the vision and everything else they there are 10 challenges they've got icons it's it's very clear to see where as a private sector partner or as a philanthropist or as an ngo where you might fit into one or more of these challenges and therefore what your place in the in the ocean decade is yeah and i've seen the the complementary nature of the 10 challenges and the seven outcomes because they they hit people in different places like you said that uh, you know, people have to figure out how to come into the decade. And I've been working with some stakeholders this year where the outcomes really connect with them. They get that really abstract nature. They can work out the steps themselves, you know, to get there. But some people really need those challenges is like, yes, this is a box I can tick and something that I can say, I'm working towards this. And it's a little more specific. And so I really think that uh, the dual nature of those is going to help decade progress, especially in this first year in helping people jump on the train. We're, we're using so many, meta- yeah, I could, no, <laughs> so many metaphors this episode, but it helps people understand. It helps me understand the decade. It helps me explain the decade. 
Yeah, no, you're 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 right. And I, you know, going into into a bit of detail about what these challenges actually are, it's it, it's even a way of sort of bringing in, I guess, again, not only bringing in different communities, but forcing connections between different communities, which is another key thing that we want to achieve through the framework that the decade provides and particularly connecting the generators of knowledge to the users of knowledge you know that's one of the the, the key things we say we're going to do so the challenges aim to do that by you know the, the there are 10 of them and they're divided there are different types of challenges if you like the first five are really around knowledge and solutions so there are um, things we need uh, to figure out exactly we need to figure out but then we need to use what we figured out to develop solutions so we really try and focus again both on the generation of knowledge and the and the use of the knowledge um so these first five are around and again i'm going to count this out on my fingers to make sure <laughs> i'll go with you <laughs> okay so the first one is around pollution um, again, land-based, sea-based pollution, and it's measures to either reduce pollution at the source, reduce the effects of pollution, mitigate the impact of, of, of pollution that has already happened, but knowledge and solutions. The second one is about multiple ocean stresses and the ways in which we can protect, restore, manage ecosystems that are affected by multiple stresses, whether that be climate change, whether it be over-extraction. Um, what we're seeing is that, you know, of course, ecosystems are not just subject to one threat. They're subject to unique cocktails of threats, depending on where they are. So how can you, how can you look at these sort of these multiple ocean stresses together? The next one's around food security um, and looking at knowledge and solutions with links to innovation and technology around aquaculture, um, around fisheries and, and really, you know, trying to trying to put some science and some some solutions around how is the ocean going to feed the, the world's population in, in coming years. Fourth one is around a sustainable ocean economy. So this is linked to generating the knowledge, for example, the industry needs for renewable energy in the in the ocean domain. Because obviously people are looking to the ocean to solve a lot of the climate change to issues. Solve a lot of problems, yeah. <laughs> And do we have enough knowledge to be able to say that the ocean can do all this? No, we don't. And and we don't necessarily know what the secondary impacts are going to be of a lot of this technology. So it's all around those issues. Yes, we accept that the ocean has a huge role to play in climate, but let's make sure we get it right and let's develop you know, the knowledge and innovation that we need for that. And then the fifth one is around the ocean climate nexus. Um, and, you know, this obviously there are interactions and overlaps between a, a, a lot of these. But again, that role not only the effects of climate change on the ocean itself and what that's going to do to ecosystems, to extreme events, um, to community resilience and so on, but again, this role that the ocean, if it's correctly managed and if it's sustainably managed, can play in reducing or mitigating the, the worst effects of climate change. So those are the five ocean and solution, uh, sorry, the five knowledge and solutions challenges. Then we have three challenges that are more about the infrastructure that you need to do good ocean science and they sort of underpin those first five challenges. This is about a global, a sustained and comprehensive global um, ocean observing system. And obviously there's already been massive investments in past decades um, into ocean ob observation systems, but there are still problems of sustainability in terms of financing, in terms of you know 
maintaining infrastructure. There are still um, gaps in terms of capacity. There are still gaps in terms of making sure that the observations are, are used for decision making. And there are still some geographical gaps. So there are still some really big challenges that exist in um, in ocean observations. The the next challenge in this in this batch is about our multi hazard early warning systems and community resilience mechanisms, and so important for you know for for coastal communities, particularly in small island developing states, least developed countries, is only going to become more important. So it's making sure the right infrastructure and skills are in place for that. And then the third one in this sort of batch is around a digital representation of the ocean. So this is about data and information. And there's so much ocean and data information out there. We we hope that there will be masses more developed throughout um, throughout the ocean decade. How do you make that accessible? How do you make that interoperable? How do you make it you know, able to talk to each other and and be again be used, and so the the ocean decade envisages this digital ecosystem of interoperable parts, which essentially means that it sounds no, like a, an action movie, like it's it's great, great. an action movie. I loved I loved writing those bits of the implementation, <laughs> creating an ecosystem. But essentially, what it means is that, that we're not talking about some massive computer sitting somewhere holding all the world's ocean data. What we're talking about is putting policies and technical rules and networks and, you know, even getting people to talk to each other. So that as a scientist in a German research institute is developing a data portal around salinity data, that data portal can talk to another data portal that's being developed by a social scientist sitting in the Pacific somewhere that is measuring, you know, fish um, fish catch and, and, and fish take in a marine protected area. So it's about having systems that are talking to each other and it's about getting people to agree to some basic principles of open data, data sharing, data accessibility. Okay, so those, sorry, it's a very long explanation, but there are 10 challenges, so it takes some time. Oh, so yeah. we've got the, the first five, we've got the second three that are about the infrastructure, and they've got two more that are really foundational. And they, again, you know, lots of overlap. They, they feed into all of the others. The first of these is about capacity development. Um, it's about making sure that there is equitable and um, open access to skills, to technology, to data, no matter who you are, where you are, what generation you're from. So it's really, you know, some, we call this the capacity development one. And then the final one is actually really linked, um, well, it's transverse, transversal, cross-cutting, but it's really linked to the seventh outcome, as we were talking about before. And it's about behavior change. It's about what are the actions that we need to carry out through the decade to in engage, to incite behaviour change, to educate, to raise awareness and really ensure that we see this step change in um, the way that humanity looks at the ocean, the way that humanity respects the ocean, uses the ocean. And this, this particular challenge also really highlights the importance of, you know, non- classical scientific knowledge systems. So Indigenous and local knowledge systems, um, you know, different ways of interpreting and visualizing the ocean and how they can be combined with scientific data sets to give a much fuller picture of the, the different values of the ocean. 
So that's it. That's our that's our ten challenges. And <laughs> throughout the decade, there'll be calls for actions coming out in relation to the different challenges. So people will be specifically, so specifically for the challenges. Oh, okay. exactly. Yeah. So and and some of these might have geographical focuses on them as well. So you might you know get something put a spotlight on the Atlantic, put a spotlight precisely. on the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. And this will you know we'll, we'll start to get a picture of where the gaps are. And we'll start to get an idea of also the partners who may be able to provide resources for some of this so that we can really target calls for decade actions around um, some of these challenges. And we will also be progressively rolling out this year, the Global Stakeholder Forum, which is the, you know, the, the main, I guess, online hybrid in-person infrastructure that will connect communities throughout the decade and we will be curating managing establishing communities of practice around these decade challenges so that as people are looking for ideas or funding or partners or training they've got an entry point through those somewhere to start. Challenges. yeah exactly exactly that's right yeah, a global community of practice. That's it's it's crazy that the creation of the fr- the framework of the decade and the implementation plan and all these pieces that go with it are progressing the decade go- outcomes and challenges too. That the work that it's happening to help it be created, I think, will also help bring these things forward. It's look, it's true, and I got a really as I as I as I mentioned the the call this first call for decade actions, which actually is very open because we're still trying to get a, a sense of the the landscape is is going to close soon. So I've had lots and lots of emails of people, you know, asking last minute questions and so on. But I got a really nice email yesterday. I won't name from who, although if he's listening, he'll recognise himself. Who you know basically said, you know, as stressful as this process is of trying to submit something even the very process that we've gone through over the last two or three months has created links within our community that never existed before and forced us to already be talking to different partners and groups and creating new ideas. So if we're already having that effect, then I'm thrilled, you know, because that's that's what the decade is about at the end of the day. It's about creating that convening framework and getting the knowledge from the scientists to the people who need to, to use it. Yeah, it's the it's the goals you accomplish along the way, you know, these little things that you didn't expect to do. And I think that will continue to happen as the decade evolves, that we'll keep stumbling upon these things uh, as, you know, science has stumbled upon solutions for, for decades and like, oh, we didn't realize that was a great way to do this. And, and here's how it's helping. Exactly. And hence your analogy from before about building the plane as we're flying it. <laughs> It'll know, be a big, beautiful plane. As we're building it. But it's true. We're, we're adapting and, and pivoting, um, which is a word I guess we've all used a lot this year, but we're adapting and evolving as, as we go and trying to respond as much as possible to what we're hearing from the community as well. Yeah, that's uh, it's so exciting that all this is is happening. So uh, it seems quickly, but I know there's been so much work that's gone into it. Uh, since the proclamation and even before. Um, and I think we've touched on this with some of our, our discussion thus far, but what do you personally find most exciting about the decade? What, what do you love? Why do you love working on it? You know, it's really that, that possibility of seeing science being used to achieve tangible action on the ground, because this is what I saw, you know, and so much from the time I was in Vietnam and and in Madagascar as well, that there was such a disconnect between the amazing scientific knowledge that's being generated and the actual 
decisions that are being made on the ground, whether it's by marine protected area managers or governments or, you know, they just, in, and, and maybe this is specific to developing countries, but I don't think so. I think it's it's a more general thing that there's the, the, the bridge between the science and the people who are making the decisions is, is non-existent in many cases. And it's non-existent for so many reasons. Like when you know, coming back to the Madagascar example, scientific articles, nobody's got an internet connection. And even if they did, they're in very technical paywalls, English. Yeah, yeah paywalls. Um, it's in an English which is incomprehensible in a French-speaking country with, you know, low levels of education and so on. And and it's just there's there's no there's no filtering down of that science to where it's where it's needed. And not only that, but the the communities on the ground and the MPA managers on the ground have no way of telling the scientists what knowledge they need and so often you know there's this mismatch between the science that's being done with all these resources being put into it and the actual information that people need to make decisions that will it's not useful yeah precisely and to me the ability to build that bridge between the between the two is just you know is so essential and I, I find that I find that fascinating um to be able to engage those different communities who are talking you know both in a linguistic sense but also in a in a sort of a, a technical sense we're talking such different languages but to get the right information into the right hands so that decisions can actually be made that can can make a difference because if not we're in pretty bad shape for the for the next 10 years I would say yeah and having those people there at the beginning to to let you know like what they need so that we don't just do science that sits in a drawer sits on a shelf and that it's um it's influenced by the users every step of the way. And I think that's a great uh, a great idea for what the ocean decade can and should be, you know, beyond the the outcomes and the challenges. Like if you're thinking really basically about what it can do and what we need to transform, that's a great example of what it can be. Exactly. Yep. And we need people to buy into that. And we need people on both ends of that spectrum to be active partners. Meet in the middle. Yeah. Yep. Precisely. Oh, Allison, thank you so much for for joining me this morning. This was a fantastic morning, afternoon, evening. We're global here on the Ocean Decade Show. Um, so, where can people go to learn more? It's oceandecade.org. That's the website for all things Ocean Decade. That is correct. Um, we will also we'll have a new website actually rolling out um, over the over the next few months, um, probably with the same address though. So, so, so bookmark that. Uh, bookmark that address. The website that is up there now is is more the website that was there for the preparation phase. So you'll see, uh, as I say, you'll see new things rolling out in, in coming months. Follow us on social media as well. We're on all the, the social media platforms. There'll be some new um, Ocean Decade specific social media handles coming out um, soon, which if you follow the hashtag Ocean Decade, you will, you, will find, um, you will find very soon. On the website, you can subscribe to our newsletter, of course, um, that we try and get out every two months. And yeah, just you know, keep keep an eye on 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 what you see coming out from us and and from our partners. Um, we'll soon be releasing some information about this first call for decade actions and the results of that, as well as, of course, you know, setting out or, or launching the 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 next calls for decade actions, where we'll be asking people to to put in their ideas for the for the next round of programs and projects. Yeah, it's this global potluck, and we're going to start seeing soon what the first dishes are, and I'm really excited to see what everyone's contributing and how the the idea of the decade has launched itself in their brains and what they think the how they think it should work and so it's going to be fascinating to see 
how everyone's brains work <laughs> in these different ways, you know, that how they've interpreted the decade. Yep, precisely. We're, we're thrilled. And I think already on uh, next week, we'll, we'll start getting a very broad sense of that and then, and then start getting down to a more granular level. But yeah, seeing how, seeing how things play out. But from what we're seeing coming in already, it's, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be really, really fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, we'll definitely have to have you back on once we get some of the more of the juicy bits uh, that we can go into more detail about because you it was fantastic having you go through this and all this detail that I think we we really laid it out clearly. So thank you so much for your finger counting and your efforts and uh, for for joining me today. Always happy to do it. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, we want as many people as we can to know about the decade and get engaged. So thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. I'm more than happy to come back and let you know uh, how we how we went and what our first set of programs is looking like. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Alison. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network. News for the pelagic-minded.